Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. You all, lovely people. How y'all doing? Good? 11 o'clock. I thought you'd be more ready to go. Ready to go. Look at this. If we haven't met, my name is uh, Dom. I'm one of the leaders here, and, uh, and it's such a joy to be together. And uh, to, to think about something we've done at the beginning of this year is really to go back to the beginning of the Bible and to begin to encourage you to read the first book of the Bible and to ask God to show us his promises in a fresh perspective. Like to see the first few books, the first few chapters of the first book of the Bible and to say, God, help us to understand this book in a deeper way so that we would grow and we would understand your goodness. So the series is called About New Beginnings. Uh, you know, and I, I think about this often. I think about every time you start to read the Bible, you can get stuck and you feel like there's challenges. And, and this morning, we're going to look at a challenge that is captured in a question. And here's the question that I want you to think about. Maybe you're online, you're watching with someone. Here's the question we're going to look at that the Bible forces us to think about is answering this question, what is really wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? We all know somebody who has a tip. We all know somebody who knows what's wrong in the world. We all know somebody who knows, like, it's the government, education, it's taxes coming up. Uh, you know, we all have tips on what's wrong with the world. And this morning you're going to see, and I hope we see together, how the Bible invites us to see in a deeper way, not only what's wrong with the world, but what God is going to do about it. And as I was preparing this week, I could feel like the weight of the sermon in a different way, just because it's a big section of the Bible, it's a lot of important things, and if you're new to church, you might be like, man, it's, it's a lot to think about. So before, like, you know, we download this, I remember thinking, you know, just I hope somebody's praying for me, and I asked Pastor Michael to pray for me this week, I was like, just pray for me, I really want this to be clear, and so if at any point you feel like it's not clear, it's because Pastor Michael didn't pray, okay? <laughs> so you, he's somewhere in the back, so you could blame him on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> he never prays for me. <laughs> so I, I could feel I was preparing, like there's so much. And I was like, God, I just want us to just feel this and not only hear about your love, but your goodness and how you're calling us to grow. And one of the things that we've done is we've encouraged you to read the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. And if you've done that, you know, you've probably felt the challenge of reading the Bible from a modern perspective. Like the fact that we live in a very modern perspective makes it hard for us to read the Bible and we're stuck with this question. At some point, our kids will have it, our grandchildren, somebody who's not into church will say like, do these stories really happen? Like if you haven't asked that question yet, as you read some of these books, you haven't read. Because at some point you're like, did it really happen like that? Do we really believe the stories that way? And in particular, you're going to feel that a lot this morning as we look at chapter three. It's going to be like, whoa, like, it's a lot of, I have a lot of questions about what's happening in these first few chapters. And I want to show you that in the earliest, in the early church and some of the people in the Bible, they weren't facing this challenge the way we do. So we have to deal with a problem that people in the Bible didn't have. The problem is that we are all raised and we are products of the modern era. And so I just want to show you this important slide that might help us, before we get to the, to the passage, to think about how people in the Bible thought about the truth. 
and learning about the truth. In a simple way, I just wanted to show you with this image, you can go to it, at different layers of truth that people believe the Bible was speaking to us from. That the Bible has different layers of truth that it teaches us. It can teach us moral truth. It teaches us spiritual truth. It teaches some historical truth. And then you have scientific truth. These are different layers. And if you remember anything, you're like, you know, I'll forget all this because I'm not into this stuff. Well, you know, you bring a notepad if it helps, right? Just remember the word and. Okay, just everybody say and. And. That for the longest time when people thought about the different layers of truth in the Bible, they thought that they complement each other. That you can read one and you can read another. And you can understand another. And as some of them developed, they would think about these different truths in different layers. Okay, now if you understand Hebrew... You might have picked this up already when you read the first few chapters of Genesis. Because if you understand Hebrew, you realize that when you meet the first humans who are created, you meet Adam and Eve in the story, their names are not just like man and woman. Their names actually mean from the earth and life. In the Hebrew version, people who understand Hebrew would know that. That already in the people, there's a layer of meaning about who they are in the world and in creation. The word Adam means to come from the earth. We get the English word hummus. From, the, from that Hebrew word. Like we're humans, we're humble, we're from the ground. So there's already layers of meaning in the actual word. It's not just a person, it's a person from the earth. It's not just Eve, it's like life comes out of this person. And so for many of us, this layer, uh, these layers of truth get lost. And then we struggle. And then actually some people, they feel embarrassed to even be Christians. I know people like are so embarrassed. They're like, you know, I hope nobody asks me a question. We're not into science. I hope my kids don't study physics. You know, we're always paranoid about all these things. You know why? Because they forget and, okay? It's meant for, for them to be kind of working together. Now, we are all products of the scientific revolution. The scientific revolution changed how we read almost everything because something happened with the word and, In the scientific revolution, some of you know this maybe if you studied a little bit or the enlightenment period, and became against, okay? And became versus. So then you have these debates of science against religion, science against faith, and you have this that starts to happen. That the way you understand truth is that you look at history and you look at science and they're the big ones and like spiritual truth and moral truth, they're like small and insignificant or they're just private. Like keep it to yourself. And so we feel that a lot. Like, we feel that tension. And I want to just kind of set us free from that to remember that Christians throughout the years have always reminded themselves to stick with and and not against. They've always said, let's just go back and see how we can kind of think of these layers of truth in a profound way that God is teaching us different things. Maybe that'll help you. I hope it helps you as you read, as you encourage other people to explore faith. And I want to tell you that thinkers who've come before us have often done this. They've helped us so we're not like reinventing the wheel. One of the greatest thinkers who was living during this Enlightenment period, just a little bit before Enlightenment period, was a Christian. His name was Galileo. Galileo was a brilliant thinker, scientist, mathematician. And this is what he says. I have brilliant thinker, scientist, mathematician. And this is what he says. I have two quotes on the screen, and I'll read them and explain them. He says this. I give infinite thanks to God, who has been pleased to make me the first observer of marvelous things. Some of you maybe know that what that means. But let me read the second quote by a reformer, John Calvin. I love this quote. He said, the Holy Spirit had no intention to teach you astronomy. Okay? It's pretty simple, but it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Like, don't get lost with the moral teaching, the spiritual fabric of the Bible, and forget there's other truth that God is teaching us in different ways. Galileo was one of the first thinkers, the Christian thinkers, to realize that the way we understood the world was about to change. He realized that in the whole solar system of creation, it wasn't the earth that was the center of everything. It was the what? 
It was the son. So he was like, wow, this can't be. Because the church had thought this and they had read the Bible in a certain way and over years the church is going to realize that the scientific truth actually is more reliable here and we need to re-explore how we think about those other truths. And this is all kind of in our culture and that we can miss this. And when we don't understand this, we stop reading Genesis. We stop reading the beginning of the Bible because we get stuck. It's like a hurdle we just can't get over. So how many of you felt that like it's too hard to understand that? Okay, remember, Pastor Michael's in the back, Okay. If, if you missed all that, you're like, I can't even, nobody prayed for us. I just wanted to give you kind of just a snapshot of that. We are in need of great physicists who are Christians. We need great scientists who love Jesus. We need to create a culture where there's a conversation that happens and we understand that it's not about this against that. But Christians have said, let's think about it as and, how we, how we look at these different uh, layers of truth. As we continue this morning, and we look at chapter 3 of Genesis, you're going to feel that a lot. You're going to feel that a lot because this section of the story of the beginning of the Bible is the story people always go back to to answer the question of what's really wrong with the world. This is it. It's beautiful. It's mysterious. It's complicated. Scholars are writing books all the time. And so I'm just going to give you like a little bit of space to think about this. And if you have a Bible, you can look at it. But you'll see on the screen at the beginning of chapter 3 that this is what it says. It's important. It says that God, now the serpent, was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? If you were here last week, you maybe remember this, that we looked at how by this time in the story, God has created Adam and Eve, man and woman, and they're meant to depend on God, to trust God, to rely on God. And God is doing this for them, and he's placing them in special places, locations, Now, if you forgot that or don't know much about the story, let me just tell you one thing that you just need to know. That all of this beginning of the book of Genesis is meant to tell us something so unique about us as humans. It's that we are made in the image of God. And that we're made in the image of God, and what that means is that as creation unfolds, we are given a very special responsibility. If you're taking notes, this is important to write down. That responsibility is to reflect the glory of God to the rest of the world that we reflect this glory as we give leadership, as we're responsible, as we care. Now, other parts of creation have a bit of God's glory, like we talked about this in week one, but humans are very special in this way. They're special, and we're told that in the story, something happens that begins to question this unique identity of God in us. And we're told about a serpent. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this before. Maybe you've seen some funny movie or a show. You see pictures, you know. People have all these questions about, like, what did they eat? Is it an apple? The Bible doesn't say it's an apple. I've seen people, like, if you have a Mac, it's really bad because the apple represents the apple. And if, if you have friends like that, unfriend them, whatever. So, anyway, there's all these speculations about what does that mean. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us the kind of fruit it is, thank God. Or it'd be like, you can't have that fruit in church. It's just a fruit, okay? So figure it out. And then if you live in a modern world from the Enlightenment thinking, the next verse should be what? The next verse should be Eve saying to the snake, how is it that you can speak? That's what it should say. That's what I wanted to say. Like Eve should be like, are you a talking snake? Like what is this place? But it doesn't. It doesn't say that at all. If God wanted to give us a book that answered all these questions from a scientific perspective, he would have done that. But he doesn't. He gives us a book that calls us to a deeper place, to pay attention to the story, to keep reading, to hear his promises in all of the layers of the things that are about to happen in this story. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of the details of this, but I'm going to give you again, just a little reminder, this week, 
read chapter 3 if you have not read chapter 3 of Genesis. If you pick up a Bible and you read it, you'll see right at the beginning of the heading, it says, The Fall. Any of you heard this before? Like, The Fall? I, I actually hate the title for this section, by the way. Because in our culture, if you fall, you could just get up and move on. And so people can misunderstand it. And the headings in your, t- in your Bible are put in there later by scholars to help you read and not get lost. They're not actually there in the original, earliest text that we have. They're placed to help us. So I have a, a word that I use that I think is better than the fall. Okay, and I'm going to give it to you. And if you like it, you're welcome. Okay? What it is, is I think of Genesis chapter 3 as a cosmic disobedience. It's a cosmic disobedience that is more than just a fall. It's more than just making a mistake and getting up and getting better. It's, more than, it's a disobedience that's going to unravel in a way that is going to impact these image bearers, creation, and everything that comes after it. If you can think of the water, think about throwing a rock in the water and the ripple effect is cosmic. That begins to happen. There's so many things that we, we can stop and talk about. It would be here for hours. Like, why, why do Adam and Eve even have to eat? Aren't they perfect? Well, some scholars are like, they have to grow into understanding their perfection. There's other people that are wondering, like, why would God even put them in the garden if they can make this mistake? That's a good question. All of these things, but stay with the story. These image bearers, they have this responsibility. And there's this moment where the serpent representing doubting and evil and wondering whether God's dependence is enough says to Eve, you know what? Isn't there another tree? Like, think about this. You get nine, and you look at one that you can't have. It's typical to be human, right? And, and Eve, we know, she tastes of this fruit. She gives it to Adam. And there's this cosmic disorientation that begins to happen. Now, I want to give you an image that helped me years ago to understand what this cosmic break means. It's important because it's how Christians always think about, what's the question? What's wrong with the world. It's important because it takes us back to the beginning of how things started to break. So I, I brought a prop. Some of you ready? I got a prop. You, some, of you, some of you like this. You like this. Everything, everything is youth ministry. I'm going to come out in a clown suit. People, on, people online are like, I love this church. All right. Hope to see you in person. Okay. This is a simple, simple illustration. You'll never forget. We, from the beginning, have been created as image bearers. We are called to reflect God's glory to the world. It's very simple. When people see us and see us living in dependence on God, they realize what a good God. What a loving God. He's he's provided for you. And then in chapter 3, something begins to happen. This begins to happen. This is true. This begins to happen. If you want to think of what happens, we begin to reflect and see the world like this now. Think of this mirror as glasses that we wear when we look at the world. We now wear glasses where we see a little bit of goodness and we long for more of God, but we realize things were not meant to look this way. And when we don't realize this, we use these glasses to look at each other. We look at other people and we look at the worst in them. They make a mistake, they're the worst. We make a mistake, it was a bad day. We interpret everything in a different way. The world, we think of, how do we use the world for our pleasure? Watch the Lorax. No, I'm kidding. Okay, anyway. So some of you got that, whatever. Some of you are like, ah. This continues to happen. This continues to happen. And this is how Genesis begins to unfold. We're given this picture. It's a profound reminder for us that there's a cosmic break and how we're meant to see things will never be the same again unless God does something. Now, I want to tell you what happens next. It's so profound. 
What God does next is so important to the way Christians understand, remember the question, what's wrong with the world? That God shows up. And this is what happens in the story. It's so beautiful and profound at the same time. It says, the Lord God called to man, and he said, where are you? So great, because God knows where he is. But he asks him a question. He says, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. This is one of the first moments where we get a picture of what it's like when God steps in and says, where, where did you go? One of the most important things I want you to remember is that to begin to experience God's healing begins with us admitting what we've done. This is essential in this story. That's why God asks us questions when, we already, when he already knows the answers. Not because he needs to hear it, but because we need to hear it. We need to be able to say that when I think about what's wrong in the world, I must say that part of what's wrong with the world is me. Something about me is wrong with the world. And when I bring my broken self into the world, I impact the world because I still see the world like this now. My lens is skewed. It's skewed how I see people. It's skewed how I use people. This is all broken and God steps in and he says to, to this man, he says, where are you? Where are you hiding? Now, the other thing that this moment does, and and Christians will talk about sin, the brokenness of sin, cosmic disobedience. The other thing that it does to us is it convinces us in the most foolish way that we can hide from God. Sin gets us to the place where it says, you know what, you should just hide. Nobody needs to know this. No, you don't need to tell anybody this. Think about all the things you think to do. Even if you have kids and they're doing something bad, they're always hiding. They're hiding to do, right. And this is something that's in the story and we still feel today. I want to tell you something as this part of kind of the sermon is maybe more controversial and harder to understand, but I think we're living in a culture where we have to return to the power of this part of the story. Because one of the things that Adam and Eve are about to learn is that God loves them so much that he's created this good world, this great creation, this place for them, and in them there's a secret moral law that when they do something wrong, they will feel guilty. This is an important part. You remember the four layers of truth? Some of you remember them? Some of you are still awake. Okay, you got it? Okay, the layers of truth. That there's something that God's made in this whole creation that when we do something, we feel that we've messed things up and they hide. Now, one of the ways to understand this idea, maybe this feeling, is this idea of guilt. Feeling guilty. Now, l- let me just tell you, before I tell you something, I, I just, this is important. Because you hear the word guilt, and I hear the word, gu- the word guilt, and I just think of the worst church experiences of my life. Okay, growing up, you know, you're late for church, feel guilty. You didn't do this, feel guilty. You come to church with a cap, feel guilty. Like, guilt is like everywhere. Like, you, you're afraid to talk to anybody. Many people in our culture, when they think of guilt, they think that's what the church uses. The church uses guilt and fear to get you there, to take your money. Right? We'd be like, yeah, we've been impacted by this. Christians do the most horrible things. They act in ways that are not God-honoring. They're not the first ones to say we're the problem. And they do this. And after a while, what happens, because we've done such a horrible job with guilt, we don't know how to really talk about it when it's a positive thing. Can I just encourage you to make me think about this, that guilt, the beginning of the story, is a gift that God embeds in creation. It's a gift for us to actually feel when we've done something that violates the order of creation. And we live in a culture where people are like, oh, it's, it's made up, it's socially constructed, institutions make up guilt. You just need to be you. I'm going to tell you something. If you remember this, it's going to save your life. You are the most authentic you when you know how to feel guilty. You are the most authentic you that God's created you to be when you understand that guilt is something that's a check in your heart and in your mind to say, something about this is not right. I need to talk to somebody and I can't hide. And I need help. 
And in this story, Adam and Eve represent what it's like when they do something and they begin to hide. And we are living in a culture that, you know, whenever you talk about this, it's, it has this baggage of all these horrible things that the church has done. We've ruined the ability to talk about this important principle. And it's there right at the beginning. This moment where there's a violation and a sin and this cosmic disorder, and Adam and Eve realize, wait a second, our bodies are telling us something about that's happening. We need to go high. And God is about to do something they never expect. This is what the Bible tells us next. Profound. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God makes things. How beautiful. And the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to eat, to reach his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden for years. People have read this story and they've wrote commentaries on the story. Some of them are like, where is this garden? Let's find it. They make movies. Indiana Jones is looking for it. I don't know. Somebody's looking for it. Like we live in a world like I got to find this place. There's a secret river. You drink. You're young forever. I, I don't even hate. I don't even love it now. You want me to live forever? There's people who can't wait to get out of this world. But I never realized something that just hit me this week. That God's so good that not only does he cover them, but he removes them from the place where they will make things worse. Now, I think of the word banish, and right away I'm like, oh, you see, that's what church does. We read these stories. God is, you know, doesn't want us to be free. That's what religion does, trying to control us, and we can miss that we're meant to see the story as God saying, you can't stay here. This is going to be so much worse. It's like a parent, like, taking their kids out of a place where they have an allergic reaction to food. Like, we never say, oh, my goodness, that's not freedom. No, you're like, no, I'm trying to protect you. You're going to die. God places them out of the garden. And part of the beauty of this passage is we get a glimpse of God speaking, and Christians have always said that this is some of the early passages of God speaking in the Trinitarian form. God says, we, us, this is what's happened now. Now, the rabbis and the Jewish people will say that's angels, not Trinity, and if you have questions about that, come to one of our Bible studies. But, you know, there's some deep, deep truth that we unpack when we read this, that there's this violation, and there's this moment where this pain and this guilt. And in the ancient world, remember, there were so many other stories about what the gods did when humans acted bad. And some of them are that the gods come in and got rid of humans. One of them is that they send the animals from heaven to attack them. And this god doesn't do that. He comes and he asks them to get honest, and he covers them, and he puts them out of a place where they're going to make things worse. Before I go on, can I just maybe encourage you to think about areas in your life where maybe Guilt, confession, honesty about what's really wrong in the world maybe appears very much in your home, in your house, in your car. In ways that you and I get to the place where we don't really need God. We're self-sustaining. We should have everything that we see when we want it. There should be no limits. And all of a sudden we read the story again and God's like, I didn't create you that way. That there's this gift in the story that the image of God has been shattered in us. And the people in the story they feel something we all feel, that the only way this gets better is if God fixes it. Only God can restore this. Do you believe that? So a lot of people are like, no, you know, we'll get better at it, just improve things. By and and I'm, not, I'm not against us improving certain things. But at its core, the story is calling us to a place of surrender where we admit that this cosmic disobedience is not just about me and God, it's not me having a bad day, it's impacting everyone. 
Sin is like a ripple effect that begins to destroy everything around it. But I have some good news. Here's this good news. The good news of the Bible is that when we ruin things, it doesn't change whether God is good. Just remember that. Now, in the ancient world, they had pictures of gods that when humans did something bad, the gods got vengeful and crazy. And, so, and the Christian God doesn't do that. He's like, I know how to sustain you now, but you're going to have to trust me in a new way. You're not going to depend on the, all the fruit in the tree. You can't be in this garden anymore. And we feel in our culture how the brokenness that we read about has impacted all kinds of different things in our society, our relationships. And we forget that even when we feel the brokenness of our relationships, with our coworkers, our friends, sometimes we don't even know how we feel ourselves, that God is still a good God. That God is still a good God intervening and stepping in and beginning to help his people. To remember that he's even going to give them parameters after they've broken everything on how to still live as ones who, who, fail, who focus on God and on his goodness. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, in the law, which is the teachings that God's going to give his people, is to remind them of this goodness that they've ruined. It's a passage that's found in the book of Deuteronomy, and this is what it says. I love this passage. It says, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. And all the women said, amen. amen. There you go. Some of you are like, gotta get, ma- gotta get myself married. 2024, get myself married. All right. So, <laughs> Listen how beautiful this is. After we've broken the whole thing, God's like, by the way, I made you to love each other. I made you as image bearers to have a unique relationship. So even though you've messed this up and it's going to be harder than you ever imagined, there's a law for you that when you love someone, you're going to need time to foster and cultivate that love. So make sure that that's there for one year. Of just being together. It's just this constant reminder as you keep reading Genesis that God's like, don't forget how good I am. Don't forget how bad you are and how good I am. Don't forget that I'm going to keep being good. I'm going to keep helping you. Now, if you read throughout the Bible, you'll see language of God's wrath. And, God, and, and the Jewish people will always use that language to frame the consequences of this cosmic disobedience. But they will also pray that God is slow to anger and merciful. His mercies are new every morning. You see how they're, they're going to keep telling themselves this because they've broken this, but God has not abandoned them. What's wrong with the world? We're wrong with the world. Something in us is wrong with the world. The fact that we think we can live this world and not feel any guilt, feel any remorse, nobody should tell us what to do. All of these things stem from this moment of cosmic disobedience in this story. I read, a, I read this story a few weeks ago and it reminded me of how painful and broken and lonely we can be when we, we don't live in the fullness that God has given to us. There's this company in Japan and I read the story how they're dealing with loneliness and culture and this is what it says in one of the, the article I read. It says there is approximately 4,000 men who have married a hologram using a certificate designed by a company in Japan. Four thousand, well, I read this a few years ago. It's maybe more now. 4,000 men. Like we're living in a world where we need to be in community with others, feeling the restoring of our relationship so bad that we don't, we don't find it, we'll make it up. We'll look for ways to make something, make us feel that we're not lonely, we're not alone. Technology can be a blessing or it can be used to highlight how broken we've made things. This is the world we live in. And this morning, I have good news. Because God confronts guilt and our brokenness by reminding us that we are not alone. That He is one who's coming and He can transform things. But we have to begin by being honest about this. Now, I don't have time to unpack the next few chapters because it's a lot, but I'm going to encourage you to keep reading them. But the next few chapters, the next chapter, you realize that if you know this image, 
You go to chapter 4 and chapter 5, oh my goodness, just keep breaking. You get to chapter 4, the next chapter, the first murder of the Bible. Two brothers, brothers, that are, have been created, and this is what we're told. Some of you know the story. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Can you imagine? Can you hear Abel yelling? Can you feel like how crazy that verse is? God created this good world and this is what the disobedience is doing? This is what it's doing now. Killed him and then the Lord said to Cain, again, what does he do? He asks him a question. He says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? He says, I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? Now, if you know the pattern, just I'll give it to you and we're going to wrap up, okay? Stay with me. Adam and Eve sin, they feel this guilt, they hide. Next step, it gets worse. Abel kill, Cain kills his brother Abel, he doesn't even feel guilty anymore. He's not even ashamed. We've gone from being guilty to now no guilt, not even remorse. And it's like, it's not my job to figure out who my brother is. Do you see how things are about to get worse? If you keep reading, God says, this is what it looks like if you think you can resolve this on your own. And if you don't believe me, you get to chapter 5, which is a chapter that you'll start reading, and I promise you, you're going to feel so bored. Because it's like a genealogy of all these names. And some of you have asked me, like, what do we do with all these names? Read all those names, think about all those people, and in the end, remember this, that God wants to remind these people that time will not heal this. Even generations who think that they're better, who are going to fix this, cannot restore the violation that's happened in Genesis chapter 3. And so we're called to live with this when we carry the weight of this. Before we wrap up, I'm going to ask you again, what's wrong with the world? What really is wrong with the world? And I encourage you when you're quick to comment, quick to say something, quick to accuse, quick to this, just come back to maybe the most basic thing that we learn in the Bible. That what's wrong with the world begins with what's wrong with us thinking that we have God's perspective when really we only see the world like this, thinking that we know how to fix things when every time we touch something, we make it worse. And all along, God is beginning to prepare his people to realize that one will come who is the perfect image of the invisible God. He's the one that the Bible will call the one who repairs this image and gives us a picture again of what it looks like to live as people who are obedient who love God and trust God. That is one of the titles that Jesus will get in the New Testament. He's the image of the invisible God. And we have to learn what it means to begin to trust Him and to look at Him and to say, we want that restored in us. We know that God had called us to be those who reflect His glory, but we can't do that anymore. This is what we've made of it. Jesus is like, I will show you what it's like to do this. I'm going to read a passage for you, and it's important, and if you don't understand Genesis well, this passage not, might not make much sense. But this is what it says in the book of Corinthians. It says this, for as, Adam, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ is the first fruits. He's the first glimpse of what it looks like to be obedient. For, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I always got confused why the Bible called Jesus the second Adam. <laughs> you have to know who the first Adam is to understand why Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam, Eve, our spiritual ancient grandparents, left us with this. And Jesus comes that says this is not the whole story. 
Sin and disobedience and your mistakes do not get to define who we are and where we go from here. You know why? Because God is still good. God is still good and he's still restoring and he's still entering the most broken places of our lives, our homes, our cars, our communities. And he's inviting us to admit that we are what's wrong with the world. I'm just going to ask you this morning, before you leave, to just maybe have this moment of confession. A moment of confession that maybe you've noticed in your life that being guilty or even admitting you're guilty is something that you don't want to admit. It's kind of really crazy to me that in the first service, somebody visited our church that hasn't been here for a very long time. And they came, and I was so happy to see them. And when they got here, they just wanted to chat with me, and they told me that they came because they felt so guilty that they hadn't been here for a long time. And I was like, that's interesting. And she said to me, she's like, what you spoke about this morning is what I was feeling. And I said, why? Like, we love you, we understand. She said, because I left, and I never told anyone, and I walked away, and I never even said thank you, and I just went. And for years, we didn't see her. And today, she was here. And I was just said, what a gift of freedom when we just can admit and say, you know what, I think I dropped the ball here, or I think I messed this up. And to hear someone say, I forgive you, we love you. We're just so happy you're here. God is waiting to say that to all of us as we get honest about being those who admit that we're what's wrong with the world. We have done this. And we get to the place when when we do that, Jesus says, don't worry. I'm the one who's coming to enter and to restore the image that you were intended to see or to have for the world. So this morning, just as you stand up, you can just stand with me. I'm going to give us a minute. Just a minute. You might not have a minute like this this week. can't get it out of my mind that God asks Adam a question. He's going to ask Cain a question. Maybe for us, he might be asking you something. Like, why don't you feel guilty about that anymore? Why are there things in our lives that we do time after time and we don't even feel bad anymore? And God's like, why did you stop being sensitive to my presence, to my goodness? You will keep living this way. It will destroy you. And God says, if you don't believe me, just read the beginning of Genesis. Maybe for some of you, God is is placing you in a place where he's moving you around or he's calling you to a different place to get you out of a difficult situation. And you might have to admit to say, God, I need your help to get out. If you're listening online, just in this room, just close your eyes for a second. Just between you and God. The God who loves us, the God who is good, the God who confronts our guilt and tells us that he can make things in you. That God. What is he saying to you now? What is he calling you to now? How is he revealing to you that part of what's wrong in the world is maybe in your own heart? Anger and vengeance, jealousy, competition, being better than others, thinking that you can depend on anything else that is not him. It's all in Genesis chapter 3. Before we go, just take a minute and ask God to begin to heal and restore and help you be more honest than you've ever been in your life. You are most authentic when you experience this kind of guilt. Because Jesus comes to heal it and restore it. Trust Him with that this morning. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for the gift of your word. I pray that this morning we would feel a deep burden that much is at stake if we can't admit that we are part of what's wrong with the world. Much is at stake if we can't learn to be honest about this gift of sensing guilt and pain and suffering, sensing all of these things because they're the way you created us. This morning, I want to say thank you for the gift of Jesus, the one who is the perfect image of the invisible God, who comes to give us a glimpse of the restoration that you are doing in us and through us. I pray for anyone in this room or anyone listening who's never said yes to trusting Jesus, that you would give them the strength to take that step and to begin to see how Jesus puts the mirror back together by restoring us, healing us, helping us to be honest, that you would help us to do this for the sake of our world, our kids, the next generation. We will feel the temptation as soon as we leave this room to look at the broken world and blame someone else, look at the broken world and think it's just we're just doomed in our brokenness. But as we leave, Jesus, remind us that you are the good news. You are good news for us. That you are a reminder that a God doesn't just throw away things that are broken, but he restores them and heals them. And he is still doing that today because of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in his name. Amen. Hey, friends, we are thankful for all of you. And maybe for some of you, this is heavy and hard to think through, and you're carrying just a weight of maybe some decisions and regrets and guilt. We'd love to chat and encourage you to remind you of how Jesus makes all things new. Hey, if you signed up for the marriage course, we can't wait to see you tomorrow night. Don't forget to check your email. Bible study Tuesday, ministry partner meeting Saturday. Woo, we're busy church. Love you all. See you soon.